Yes, so I'm continuing our series on worship this morning. Um, The last couple of weeks, Andy's been speaking to us about um, remembering God as a good father um, and kind of how that impacts our worship. And this morning, I'm going to be continuing on the same sort of theme of remembering God as a good father, but also us as sons and daughters um, and what that means for us. And so, and then next week, Stevie P, um, amazing Steve Perkins, is going to be picking up on worship as a lifestyle. So excited for that. Um, but as I was preparing uh, this morning, I was drawn back to Psalm 22, verse 3. And it says that God promised to inhabit the praises of his people. He promised to inhabit the praises of his people. And our worship provides a place of meeting with God, a place for us to encounter his presence. And I'm sure you would agree that at Hope Church, we are incredibly blessed by our worship team. Can we just like, can we just honor our worship team for a minute? We have an incredible worship team who really draw us into the presence of God and are really anointed uh, for worship. And, um, you know, and, and as a church, we're really called to pursue and prioritize his presence. So it's no kind of, um, you know, no mistake that really we, we encounter God um, in our worship as a church together. And the actual Hebrew verb in this verse um, for inhabit so, um, is yashab, which means to sit or to remain or to dwell. So the phrase um, that God inhabits, the praises of his people, actually means that he rests in he sits upon, he dwells within, we might say he makes a home within his people's songs of worship and and adoration. And that's an incredibly intimate picture, isn't it, of our worship and what God does in that time. And the fact is we are built for intimacy and connection with the Father because we are his children. You know, we're built for that strong connection that incredible bond between a parent and a child where we know that he's made his home within us, that we have his Holy Spirit within us and that he dwells amongst us as his people. When I was at uni, one of my friends um, decided that uh, she wasn't a Christian, but she was taking an interest in our faith and she decided she wanted to come along to church with us. And at the time, my friends and I were going to Vineyard a Church in the West End, another church which is really blessed with spirit-filled worship. And so she came along and the worship started and she, it, you know, the worship sort of started for a bit and she was kind of there and then she sat down and she just started crying and I thought okay I think this is good crying I don't think this is bad crying but one of my friends I think put a hand on her shoulder just so she knew that she wasn't alone and that she was you know that we were with her as she needed us hello um and uh yeah and she and she just and she just cried and at the end of the worship she said to us I just have no idea what was going on. I have no idea what just happened there. And we were able to say to her, well, you know, it really, that, that's the presence of God. That is the love of the Father that you're experiencing right there. And that's where her faith journey started, in an incredible, tangible experience of God's love and presence for her in the worship. Amazing, isn't it? And yet, I wonder also, on the flip side, whether we have also had experiences ourselves where we actually have really struggled to be 
in worship because of the presence of God. You know, perhaps we weren't in such a good place. Um, perhaps we were in pain or struggling with another emotion. And I guess I say that because really I've been there. Um, I've been in that place. I know what it's like to struggle to embrace the intimacy of God and the intimacy that he's longing to show me because quite frankly, I couldn't um, maybe face that or maybe I couldn't really face kind of just being undone in church or because I was trying to survive and that was my kind of protection and my survival mode. Or perhaps I just didn't feel like I could face God in the place that I was, um, even though I knew he was tangibly there. There was no denying it. And many of you will know that Dave and I, um, my, that our journey to having Ben was a really long and a hard one. Um, it took us almost a decade to conceive Ben. Um, we went through multiple rounds of um, fertility treatment, IUI and IVF, and all were unsuccessful. But the end story is a miracle, an amazing miracle that we thank God for um, every day. And, you know, we conceived naturally in the end. Uh, we went into lockdown and all the hospital clinics closed and um, we were like, ah, you know, what's going to happen now? And then a couple of months later, we conceived. And I'd be happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, if you want to hear the whole story, I'd be happy to share it. But I say it because the years prior to that miracle, the many, many, many years prior to that miracle, um, you know, was a very, very up and down journey for me. And I never lost my faith. I always held on to the promise that God would give us children. I always knew that he would. And that never actually really wavered. I fully believed it. I fully had faith for it. But it didn't take away from the pain and the struggle and the years of kind of month-on-month -month continual hope and then disappointment uh, that, you know, I wasn't pregnant. And, you know, I think it's true that you can have equal measures of faith and anguish at the same time. Um, you can have heartbreak and confusion, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you lose your faith. You know that God is there. You know that God is good but you're facing kind of the struggle. And it really is true that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, isn't it? If you've, if you've been in that place for whatever, any kind of disappointment, hope deferred really can make your heart grow sick. And there were many times within that time, I guess, just drawing back to the worship thing, that, and it wasn't every week, it wasn't every month by any you know, stretch of the imagination, but there were occasions within that period when I really struggled to be in worship. And for me, it was because, uh, you know, I was facing that heartbreak and actually it was just a really difficult place to be. So it meant that when I came into an environment where you knew God was in the room and um, where the presence of God was tangible and real, you know, sometimes I, I remember really tangibly on, in Hindland School when we were down there, we, we met down there. You know, I walked in um, to church thinking I was totally fine, thinking, you know, like, hey, I'm good, got my coffee, saw, saw some friends, hi, la, 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 worship started and I just was like a complete mess. I just became completely undone because just the presence of God and the love of God in the room, it really made me realize that like, the pain was really only just underneath the surface, the surface, sorry. Um, and underneath the surface, <laughs> underneath the surface. 
And I guess I tell you that story and, you know, I tell you that like vulnerably really, like kind of telling some of my journey and, and my faith story. But I guess I tell you that because I wonder whether there are others in the room who can relate to that. And, you know, your story will be different. The reason for you feeling like that maybe in worship will be different. Your reason for maybe distancing yourself from the presence of God or your driver from running from that place um, might not be the same and how you react might be different. You know, for some of us, it might be shame or anger or offense or apathy or disappointment or disillusionment. Um, you know, the list could go on. And yet I want to say to us this morning that the truth is that we are built for connection. We're built for connection with the Father. We're built to worship him, to give him glory, because that's what he deserves. That's one thing. But, but we're also built just to connect and to commune with him and worship because he inhabits the praises of his people. And he wants to dwell with us and he wants to sit with us and he wants to be with us in that place. Last week, Andy referred to the prodigal son um, in Luke 15, and I'd love us just to look at that passage again together. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, if you've got a device or something, let's just turn to Luke 15, verse 14, and we'll pick up um, that part of the story. So it says in that verse, so about the time his money ran out, so we're talking about the son here who's gone off, squandered his father's inheritance, about that time his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed pigs. And the boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. I mean, it must have been bad, you know, if those looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired men have enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And then it goes on to say his son said what he had practiced and what he was going to say about, you know, being a hired servant rather than a son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. And, you know, this is a bit of a different story. For the, In this story, you know, the, the son has kind of gone off and had parties and done all sorts of things. And then he's kind of thought about, you know, can I return to the father? What does that look like? You know, can I be, can I be back in his presence? You know, that's a bit different to what we were describing. And yet, the reason I wanted us to look at that passage is because this story tells of a father with extravagant and gracious love. And a son who really just questions, um, questions his identity as a son, doesn't know kind of how to be in the father's presence. And what strikes me about this passage is that there was a hesitation from the son about how to approach the father. You know, he's aware of his state because of what he's done, um, and he's aware of kind of what he said to his father and what his relationship's like with his father. 
And he does think, you know, I might just have a chance of coming back into his presence and being a hired servant, but there's no way that I can even ask to kind of come back in and be his son. But for the father, when we look at that passage, there was absolutely no hesitation, was there? There was like, he doesn't contemplate, well, what do I do about this? Maybe I should take up his offer and he could become a hired son to teach him a lesson, you know. He's like, he refuses to allow his son to even question his identity as a member of his family. You know, he's never unearned that identity no matter what he's done or no matter what state he's in or where he feels he's at. He's his son and that's it. You know, we don't lose our identity as a son or a daughter because of how we're feeling or where we're at or the mess that we might feel that we're in. We are just his, his children. Sonship is just a given and it includes all the benefits and all the gifts that that includes. So in this instance, you know, it included having a robe and a ring on a finger and sandals on his feet. And for us, you know, all the gifts and the treasures that come from um, being a son or a daughter, that's, you know, that's what we get. So nothing he did or said or felt towards his father discounted him from returning and being in his presence. And Romans 8, 14 to 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. You know, and these verses really tell us um, about our identity as children of God, that they're not as a result of, you know, believing. Uh, sorry, they're not as a result of, like, doing anything. They are purely as a result of believing and being led by his spirit. And I know that kind of we know this, like, it's sort of the basics of Christianity, isn't it? But sometimes I think we do feel like we have to earn the right um, to become children of God, don't we? That we have to sort of be a certain way or, or do a certain thing to be able to come back into his presence. Um, but the reality is this is not a reward of how good we are or how holy we are or where we're at. It's a position freely given to us because of our faith in God alone. So I sort of think about the son um, in that passage, and I think maybe he was a bit like a cowering, fearful slave, like it talks about in Romans 8. You know, it says, don't, don't be like a cowering slave. Like, remember that you are children. And, and yeah, I kind of wonder whether he was a bit like that, you know, unsure of how his father would treat him. But, you know, these verses in the passage in Luke 15 of the prodigal son both remind us that we should behave like God's very own children and call him Abba Father, which, you know, doesn't actually have any direct translation for us. But the closest that we can kind of come to, as we know, like would be daddy, wouldn't it? Um, and, and I know that people sometimes use that phrase, you know, daddy God, because it's the most sort of intimate kind of expression, I think, that we can, that we can use. Another thing about this passage, and you know, I'm sure you've heard it taught before because it's such a classic passage. You know, we've heard this this so much. But um, it would have been totally undignified for the man to just to run in that culture. Just men of his stature and age just didn't didn't do that. And yet, 
again, it really speaks of that like no hesitation that the father had for his his child. That he, um, you know, it's a beautiful picture of a father so filled with love and compassion and joy for the the son choosing to kind of come back into uh, his presence and come back and, and be welcomed home. That he just runs. He just just runs like there's just no no second thought he just runs straight to him and you know I think Andy mentioned it last week but you know it, it that the sun would have been completely stinking wouldn't he he's been working with pigs he you know he's been tempted to eat the food of the pigs he I don't know whether he changed his clothes or kind of what his you know what his situation was but he would have been pretty bogging as people say in Glasgow <laughs> and I wonder like actually as I was thinking about that and I was thinking about how he ran and he just embraced him um, and what that would have looked like and that you know that beautiful painting that um, that famous painting of the prodigal son and just how that captures that moment of intimacy and I thought you know I can kind of relate to that now as a parent kind of having been because you know, I'm sure you've had situations where your child has, I don't know, fallen over and fallen in the mud or done something that's just meant they've got into a total, you know, total mess. And uh, they've gone, oh, mommy, daddy, you know, and they've run to you. And, and you know, you, you might think, oh, but that's not how you respond, is it? You, you, like, you throw your arms around them and you think, right, I'll deal with the washing later. But, like, actually, you know, come here. Let me embrace you. Like, you know, this, this crying child that, that is wet and messy or has got um, a runny nose and, you know, snot everywhere. Um, you know, you, only a parent would do that, wouldn't they? Only because, actually, someone else would probably be like... Just wait there a second. Let's just, uh, you know, and then, and then, and maybe we, maybe we have done that sometimes. I don't know. Let's, let's not admit that because, uh, as good parents, we just, we just don't think about it. We don't take a second thought, and we just embrace them like kind of whatever, whatever they're at and wherever they are. And it's the beauty of being a son or a daughter, you know, so loved and so cherished that a good parent will always want their child to run to them. No matter what they look like, no matter how they feel, no matter what state their heart is in, God isn't put off by our mess or our emotions. And the beauty is he's not put off even when they're directed at him. You know, you only have to look at the Psalms to see that God isn't put off even when our emotions are directed at him. Psalm 13 says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day my sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? You know, even when we're facing the challenges and the dark places in life or, you know, whatever we're going through, God isn't put off by our um, yeah, by our emotion and by how we feel um, towards him. He wants us to embrace connection and pursue his presence no matter what. And it can be hard. And I, and I know that. 
and I know that it can be hard and actually sometimes it can be hard because we don't actually just we d we we just can't we can't face being real in that place um with him but I think just as we I guess draw to it draw our, you know draw this to a close like I want us just to remember again actually those verses that Anne read out at the beginning and then she read them out at the end of worship as well about you know in Psalm 84 you know he there's the invitation to live every day in his presence because there is no better place and we need to remember that in his presence there is the answer to everything and we don't always get that answer straight away but actually he wants to give us his peace he wants to give us his love he wants to give us his righteousness. He wants to give us all these things. And those verses, I haven't got them all up here that, that Anne read, but the invitation was to um, know that his presence is our defense, that his kindness as he looks upon our faces is good, that he wraps around us like a shield and generously lavishes us with his gifts of grace and glory. It really is the best place to be. And I guess just the last thing I just wanted to say as we, as we come to a close was that, you know, I think that, that this morning we have a challenge to ourselves, like that if we, maybe we relate to that picture of, um, you know, maybe we need to be reminded of, of how good a father he is and, and the response of the father to us this morning. But maybe we also need to remind ourselves of the fact that we are sons and daughters and what that means, you know, in the truest sense of the word, that we're always sons and daughters and he always wants connection with us. But I think the third challenge to us is also as a church, you know, that we need to be ready to embrace people however they're feeling, you know? We need to be ready to allow the authenticity and the rawness and the vulnerability of where people are at because we need to be able to give permission to, to people to be in that state because God does, doesn't he? He wants it. And so together as a church, like we need to also kind of help people and allow each other on that journey wherever they're at and whatever they're feeling and not be afraid of those deep and dark emotions or challenges that they're walking through because, yeah, because God, God, God wants that closeness and the, that connection and that beauty. So, yeah, so shall we just pray? And I'll just... Um, Father, I just want to thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that we've been reminded of that um, the last couple of weeks, that sometimes it's us that can put distance between us and you and that sort of separation uh, between us. But actually nothing separates us from the love of God, nothing. And Father, I thank you that you are always ready and you're fighting for connection, as that song says. You're ready to embrace us and you want, you want us to come and be in your presence, no matter where we're at and no matter how we're feeling and no matter what um, situation we're going through, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that this morning there is an invitation for us to come and run into your arms. Lord Jesus, there's a fresh invitation for us to meet with you and be reminded of how you feel about us as your sons and as your daughters, not as slaves, um, 
not as co-workers even, just but, but as your sons and as your daughters, Lord Jesus. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Amen.